the Nasdaq 100. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a good demonstration of the fact that uh, you know, Hong Kong has raised a lot of money and continues to do well for tech companies. Well, thank you all very much for your thoughts there. You heard Stuart Allcroft, Chairman of City Trust, Louis Coyce, Head of Asia Economics at Oxford Economics, and our International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at those markets this morning. In Australia, uh, stocks on the slide there, down about three quarters of a percent at the moment in, uh, in the ASX 200. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is off a third of a percent. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open just slightly above 25,500. That'll be down about a quarter of a percent at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is uh, slipping a little bit now. It's at $43.94 a barrel, uh, but gold is continuing its surge towards record highs. It's at $1,844 an ounce. And in the currency markets, the US dollar is trading this morning at 106.7 uh, against the Japanese yen. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. Do please tune in again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Back chat's coming up with Hugh Chiverton and Nixie Lamb after the news. Just before that, the weather forecast for today, mainly fine apart from one or two showers. Isolated thunderstorms at first. It is going to be very hot once again during the day, around 33 degrees in the urban areas. And it's going to remain very hot and mainly fine for the rest of this week. There is a very hot weather warning in force. The thunderstorm warning is also in force as well this morning. Temperature right now is 29 degrees and it's 87% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The United States has accused China of involvement in attempts to hack companies working on coronavirus vaccines and treatments, as well as targeting human rights activists in the US, China and Hong Kong. Two former engineering students have been indicted in connection with the case. They're said to have worked both for personal profit and for one of Beijing's spy agencies. John Charles Demers is the Assistant Attorney General of the DOJ's National Security Division. This case highlights the efforts being taken by the FBI and our partners to counter the threat posed by China to the economic and national security of the United States. It also demonstrates the FBI's commitment to protect our nation and sends a message that, as Director Ray mentioned just two weeks ago, when China violates our criminal laws and international norms, we're not going to tolerate it. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on a visit to London says Washington wants to build a coalition of like-minded allies to counter what he called the threat from China. Such an alliance, Mr. Pompeo said, should persuade Beijing to stop aggressive behavior, including making illegal maritime claims and covering up the coronavirus outbreak. We want every nation to work together to push back against the Chinese Communist Party's uh, efforts in every dimension that I described to you today. That it certainly includes the United Kingdom, includes every country. We, we hope we can um, build out a coalition that understands this threat and will work collectively to convince the Chinese Communist Party it's not in their best interest to engage in this kind of behavior. Mr. Pompeo is also due to meet democracy activist Nathan Law and the last British governor of Hong Kong, Chris Patton. In his first coronavirus briefing for weeks, President Trump says the outbreak is likely to get worse before it gets better. He urged people to use masks when unable to socially distance, something he's been reluctant to endorse in the past. We're asking Americans to use masks, socially distance and employ vigorous hygiene. Wash your hands every chance you get while sheltering high-risk populations. We are imploring young Americans to avoid packed bars and 
other crowded indoor gatherings. Be safe and be smart. He also defended the administration's handling of the disease. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Tewerton. Your co-host today is Nixie Lamb. Nixie, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, Britain has announced it will suspend its extradition treaty and block arms sales with Hong Kong, citing concerns about the national security legislation and about alleged human rights abuses in treatment of the Uyghur minority in the mainland. It stopped short of imposing sanctions on Chinese or Hong Kong officials. The Hong Kong government said the move was absolutely a political manipulation of double standards as well as a gross interference in China's internal affairs and a grave violation of international law and basic norms governing international relations, thereby knowingly allowing criminals to evade justice. So why has this happened? What are the consequences for us here in Hong Kong? How will China retaliate? Does it mean the international community is losing confidence in Hong Kong? Will other countries join in? Is it simply part of an American anti-China alliance? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call and talk directly. And our number is 233-88266. We look forward to hearing from you. The number 233-88266. Joining us for the first part of the uh, programme, we have uh, Tim Hamlet, a writer at uh, Hong Kong Free Press, former uh, associate journalism professor at the Baptist University, and John Bruce, uh, a Scottish businessman uh, in Hong Kong, founder of independent consultancy JB Advisory Services Limited. Uh, we have two legal academics joining us uh, after the uh, news at night, two Americans, but we start off uh, with the Brits. Once again, if you want to co- uh, comment or join in the discussion, uh, please do so. You're very welcome. 233-88266 is the number. Uh, a few uh, emails, a couple uh, that we've had. Thank you very much indeed, Mary and others, uh, related to to uh, COVID issues uh, in Hong Kong. I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll knock those back till uh, the next time that we, we deal with that, maybe um, tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, uh, on uh, legal issues and on the national security legislation, uh, here's a couple. Uh, here, this is from Herman, first of all, who says that uh, given that the local legal sector is under threat, for example, from technology, you would think the Bar Association would be trying trying to find ways to strengthen the local legal sector instead of undermining it. Yet all I heard from the clip RTHK played of the Vice Chairwoman of the Bar Association, Anita Yip, was a litany of complaints and no positive proposals for improvements, such as fusing the legal profession as they have in Singapore to get rid of the extra overhead and cost the current arrangement with separate barristers and solicitors is producing, particularly in cases involving technical subject matter. And uh, Bowen says, two of your listeners said in Monday's back chat that given how Hugh had treated Priscilla Lung last Friday, he shouldn't, be, he shouldn't expect to be able to find other pro-establishment guests to appear in back chat. To be fair, apart from today's co-host, Nixie Lamb, who seems to have taken a, li- a leaf from Priscilla Lung's book in interviews and been commented on by listeners in that regard, if it had been any other pro-establishment guest, Hugh would not have needed to remind him or her that Backchat wasn't letter to Hong Kong, in which case the speaker might be expected to able to deliver an uninterrupted 
rigid tirade calculated more to give vent to emotion than to elucidate on issues. It should be pointed out that many other guests from the same political camp have appeared in back chat without the slightest problem, recent examples being Maria Tam and Elsie Leung. The problem with the phenomenon of Priscilla Leung are long-standing and manifold, chief among them being her inability or reluctance to focus and endless stream of consciousness monologues spouting whatever points that occur to her often without either with neither supporting evidence nor coherence and most detrimental of all her barring others from entering into any meaningful dialogue with her which i take to be a sign of her lack of self-confidence in responding precisely and relevantly in english to insightful questions and quality arguments priscilla is in a category of her own among back chats guests Apart from Hugh, others have uh, recognised and brought up this perennial problem in the past, including RTHK's former head of English programme service, Brian Curtis. That's the thoughts of Bowen. Thank you very much indeed for that. Back chat at rthk.hk. Tim Hamlet, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, What do you make of this decision by London? Is it it simply London trying to curry favour with uh, Pompeo in the US? Oh, no, I think that's uh, a conspiracy theory, really. <laughs> uh, it's not the end of the world. Uh, it's, if, you, if you look at the way extradition operates, it's quite commonplace for countries that don't have extradition arrangements, don't have formal extradition arrangements to extradite people in cases where they think it's appropriate. And it's also quite common for countries that do have extradition arrangements to decide in individual cases that they're not prepared to extradite one particular person. So this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, criminals will escape punishment. It uh, obviously is, um, what is the word, a a signal of doubt about whether people who are accused of offences can get a fair trial in Hong Kong in the new situation created by the national security legislation. Is it really? Is it really much to do with the national security legislation? Has that changed things, do you think? Oh, of course it's changed things, yes. I mean, everything from habeas corpus onwards is now at risk of being overruled. Um, We have, you know, the chief executive picking judges for, for particular kinds of cases. We have the mainland secret police operating from a hotel in Causeway Bay. Uh, we have legislation. We, we have a, 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 sorry, we have a sort of governing body over national security matters, which is not subject to judicial review or any kind of supervision from the legislature or, or indeed anything else. Um, the situation has changed. I mean, if you, if you sent someone to Hong Kong six months ago, you would know that they would be tried in the High Court and there would be an appeal to the Court of Appeal and a further appeal to the Court of Final Appeal if anything legally interesting came up. And, and that would be it. Those would be the, the range of possibilities. Now, if you extradite someone to Hong Kong now, you, you don't know what might happen to them. Um, there's a lot of new possibilities. But the judges didn't change, isn't it? Like Sorry? a list of judges available in Hong Kong. Yeah. I'm not so what has changed? Sorry, the judges didn't change, right? The, 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 all the judges that's available in Hong Kong to go on trial. Yeah, there's, there's still the same judges, but we didn't have a situation before where in some categories the prosecution could pick a, a set that they liked. 
Uh, if you look at the national security law in 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 elsewhere, uh, most of them are required to have uh, their own nationality. Like in Hong Kong, for instance, then it will be like must be a Chinese um, nationals. Then no, no, this is a the, this is so, a fallacy which has been peddled by the new China news agency. <laughs> there is no particular reason to suppose that it's universal that national security cases are heard by people of the nationality concerned uh, during the the Commonwealth period, cases in Singapore went for their final appeals to London. And uh, some English colonies have kept that up. They, they used this thing called the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, which heard appeals, which had no one on it who was a national of the country concerned. And it's, it's, not, uh, it's not rocket science. You, you can have people who are not judges of the particular, who are not citizens of a particular country hearing cases. It's, it's um, the law is the law. I think there's only been like a handful of extradition cases since 1997 that have involved Hong Kong and the UK. Does that mean that this is a pretty meaningless gesture? It won't really make much difference to anybody. Well, in practical terms, it, it's, um, it's not going to make much difference, no, because it, it just doesn't come up very often. Hmm. Okay. I, I think uh, you know, some people are uh, putting a lot of political weight on it. Uh, I, I mean, is it just coincidence that the, the, you're also getting this visit from Pompeo and you've also got this pressure on Huawei and other issues from the United States? Seems well, like United an alliance, States right? It's <laughs> uh, pushing, obviously. I, I, I don't know whether they've been pushing on the extradition thing. Because it's not a, a huge practical thing. It doesn't have economic implications. It's, um, it's a gesture. Okay. John Bruce, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. What, what, what do you think? You know, practically, yeah, it might not have uh, much, many implications. Uh, it seems to have symbolic significance. Um, how, how do you read this? And, and, of course, there are kind of other measures which are, you know, still, uh, you know, there to be used if necessary, sanctions and so on, which the UK hasn't gone that far yet. Um, how do you read the relations? Well, uh, first and foremost, I think the UK government um, was anticipating with some of what they've been doing recently, um, but they are they're pragmatic, they're sensible, and they're mature. They are not Mike Pompeo, who um, yesterday went in a rant that, frankly, should scare any right-minded, right-minded person with his attitude to China. Britain um, feels that the, the national security law is a breach of the joint declaration. Um, I, I, I feel that debate on this has been stymied by the polarisation in Hong Kong in the last year, with people afraid to come up and say what they want to say, but I, I very much followed what Ronnie Tong said in his defence of the national security law um, last week, and I feel that the security law it's very unfortunate that it had to be brought in under Article 18 rather than Hong Kong enacting Article 23. But I think it was necessary. We just could not have another year of rioting in the streets. Now, I'm somewhat away from what you're asking now. I think that Britain the, stopping the extradition was a good symbolic thing to do from their point of view. I think in reality, it has no real effect. I mean, as Kim referenced, I mean, with the case of Harry Dunn in the US, some countries do not um, send people if they don't want to send them. I think it's sad, but I do believe that Britain is still attempting to engage um, with China and with the Hong Kong government um, to move this 
general consensus among senior people. I was on a call yesterday with some uh, a number of senior people who are saying, business as usual, get on with it. Of course, we're worried about how the Act will actually be applied. Um, I think there's been some very unfortunate statements from the government. I think Carrie Lam in, in pointing at certain actions and saying, oh, that's a breach of the national security law, is way beyond her remit and should not be doing things like that. It's honestly bullying because Big Brother's now in her side. So we now need to be mature and we need to have inter-dialogue and we have to believe in hope. And I do that the judiciary and all the protections, all the human rights protections that are in the NSL will prevail. Sorry, that was one of these chain of consciousness that your previous guest was in with Curtis Heisler. No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, Tim Hamlet, do, um, do you agree? I mean, we've just got to be pragmatic. We've just got to get on with it. And certainly business people have just got to uh, cope with the, with the national security legislation. It's not going to go away. Well, business people uh, want to do business, of, of course. Uh, to some extent, it depends on which business you're in. Um, if you're in the media business, then the area of uncertainty is very large and very worrying. Um, if you're selling widgets, then probably there's no reason why you shouldn't carry on doing what you were doing before, um, as long as you persuade your family to keep out of politics. I think, Tim, just to interrupt there, I think you're quite right. The word that you're using there is uncertainty. And that's the problem, I think, probably even with the basic law as it was drafted, and that you know, you could drive carts through some areas of it. And I think that's the worry with the national security law. It is not defined. Some of the areas are not defined. And I totally agree that in areas like journalism, there will be some fear. So, but I do believe, as I say, it's here. So we just have to work and, and understand that there is huge pressure on everybody, uh, on the Chinese, not to overstep the mark on the, on the Hong Kong government to try and make things work. But I will agree with you, uncertainty is the main difficulty here. Does, does it amount to uh, interference, this, this decision by... Um the uh, UK government, uh, John Bruce, what do you think? I, I, I think more the, the, the situation where the, you know, it's quite funny, I mean, in the lead up to 97, which most of us lived through now, um, how the, the, the BNO passports were not recognised. I think that position by the UK government in offering potentially 3 million people residency in the UK can be perceived as interference. I don't really think that the breach of an extradition treaty, sorry, the suspension of an extradition treaty is, is anything other than a political position, and I think it's perfectly um, within Britain's rights to do so. I mean, if I was a politician, I would not be doing it, because perhaps, as you can see, I've got a slightly different view on the national security law, but I think it's perfectly straightforward and is not interference as such. Tim Hamlet, do you think it's interference? I mean, you know, you could argue that Britain has the right to say, you know, whether or not they have an extradition arrangement, but to make it contingent on an internal issue in another country, that is interference, isn't it? Uh, well, it's not contingent on an internal issue. It's, it's contingent on the, an international issue, which is the, the joint declaration, which Britain has always regarded as a equivalent to a treaty binding on both sides. So I, I think they say that uh, even if you object to the fact that it's linked to a piece of legislation rather than, than just being a comment on on what they think of uh, Hong Kong's legal status, 
um, that, they, that they signed the joint declaration on the understanding that it would be binding to both sides. And if, as it now appears, the, the Chinese side doesn't regard it as binding, then uh, there must be consequences. Can I come in there, Tim, and say that, you know, we come back to Regina, Regina Ed's side handling of Article 23, which um, I must admit, um, in discussions in the last three months, I've heard uh, from senior British people, I've heard that they had no objection to the text of Article 23 when she made that horrendously hubris-driven mistake of criticising the protests. We do need a security law in Hong Kong. It was mandated by the basic law, and, um, and it's 20, what, 21 years later, 23 years later, and we don't have it. Um, I don't. I feel that the, what I disagree with Britain is, in fact, in disagreeing that we need this national security law. I mean, it's fundamentally. I mean, if you had to sum it up in a soundbite, um, the more the more extreme of the protesters who were saying fun with us and the damage they were doing to Hong Kong, and and, and by doing that to the one country, two systems, um, which which is too extreme. That there was a need to enact something. It's very very sad that we could not, within Hong Kong, within the Legislative Council, within the government, enact it, and it had to be promulgated using Article 18, but it did not reach the basic wall to, 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 to bring it in. Tim Hamlet? Oh, of course it breached the basic law. The basic law says that legislation in Hong Kong should be a monopoly of the Legislative Council, and that, that's um, fundamental. I, 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 you can, you can say we need something, something, so it has to be done somehow, so... So how do we define which is which one is the good, which one is the bad? As I said, you you look at whether they are compatible with preserving important human rights, and if they're not, then they're bad. If they are, then they're good. Such as questioning underage children, like in Australia in the ACO, the power uh, it actually gives the ACO the power to question people as young as fourteen for up to forty hours. So is that a bad human right violation yes. there? And that's in Australia. Yes, I didn't I hear any. I didn't hear any like foreign, like UK or US, actually blame on that. And on top of that, they also joined that they get they can have the same rights to actually um, go in question as the same criteria. As I mentioned previously, the law actually in Australia allowed them to. Um, question the terrorism issues and people. That's about 16, but now we bring down to 14. It has nothing to do with the Hong Kong national security law. No, no, you're talking about good and bad. So when I question about asking or questioning underage children, isn't it bad? Isn't it a violation of human rights? Questioning underage children is bad, and that's one small aspect of national security law. And that's in Australia. Underage children can't be questioned here. So if you're talking about good and bad, then there always has to be some kind of comparison and just like juggle around to see which one's good, which one's bad. Can I, Tim, I mean, I, I think we're in a 
I think in complicated cases, but yeah, the, but that decision. The, 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 yeah, uh, but 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 also the decision. Yeah, I mean, c actually, contrary to what Regina Yip was saying this morning, the decision on whether uh, cases will be referred to will refer to the mainland uh, is made by the office uh, in in Hong Kong the mainland office in Hong Kong not by the not necessarily by the uh, by the Hong Kong government so it's up to the it's up to the mainland to decide whether or not to to uh, take cases to the mainland No, it's made by the office. It can be made by the office, that decision.
jurisdiction of the Hong Kong courts or indeed to the jurisdiction of the Hong Kong police. I, I, that is I, the reality. I, I, I That is an assumption, right? It's not reality. I think. I think it's, one it's uh, one point that we we need to we need to come and <laughs> look into how 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 the law is actually done. I think everyone is actually. I think it's two camp of people. One camp of people are more like you that presumably quite scared of the whole thing, and then the the other is trying to sit and wait and see what what's going on. So. I don't think I don't see there's any wrong with with the two side of it. But raising concerns is okay. But too much too much of a hypothesis going on might not be a good way to go. This is not how you assess laws. If you assess a law, you look at it and you say what can happen under this law. You don't say, well, let us wait and see what happens. You know, because it is a fundamental rule that if a law can be abused, sooner or later someone will abuse it. Tim, and, and I, I have to say that I, I'm on the same page with you there. Um, and if it can be abused, um, I feel that we are in a real body. We have a law. We have to work. We have to cooperate within Hong Kong. We have to move to make this work and we have to keep um, faith in our jurisdiction and in our judges. Okay, well, we're out of time now. Uh, John Bruce, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Scottish businessman in, in Hong Kong, uh, founder of uh, JB Advisory Services Limited. Tim Hamlet, thank you very much indeed, writer at Hong Kong Free Press. Uh, more after the news. The weather mainly fine, one or two showers and thunderstorms, 28 degrees now, humidities at 88. 2,000 deaths reported in our region, most of these within Brazil, Mexico and the United States of America. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Nixie Lam and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about uh, the uh, decision, principally the decision by the uh, UK to uh, suspend extradition arrangements uh, with Hong Kong, citing concerns over the new national security legislation here, as well as uh, human rights abuses in treatment of the Uyghur minorities. Of course, follows uh, similar steps uh, made by uh, other some other countries. Uh, what are the implications uh, for us here? Will those will uh, more countries uh, join in? Are further steps possible? And uh, how? will China retaliate? Uh, we have we were talking in the first part of the programme to Tim Hamlet and businessman uh, John Bruce. We're joined now by Carol Peterson, Professor of Law at the William S. Richardson School of Law and Graduate Chair at the Matsunaga Institute of Peace at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, formerly of the uh, Hong Kong U uh, Law Department, and uh, former Professor of Law at uh, Hong Kong U. Uh, Michael Davis, now Global Fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Centre uh, in Washington. Uh, if you want to join in, please call us on 233-88266, 233-88266, or you can email us, backchat.rthk.hk, or you can uh, comment on our Facebook page. Everyone can see what you write there, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, email from Rich, who says, uh, Hugh, how can you have an effective, impartial host who is a district councillor with loyalty to one party? Were you pressured or desperate? That comes uh, from Rich. Uh, Rich, let, let me explain. Um, for a start, Nixie is, is, is not a, a, a district councillor. Uh, and uh, we don't ask for our hosts, the, for the co-hosts, to be impartial. Um, that's kind of supposed to be my job. Um, but uh, the, the whole idea is that we have, uh, we have co-hosts who uh, have particular in- inclinations. That's fine. They can ask uh, questions from one perspective uh, or another. And we try to get informed people. Uh, just to spice it up to, to make it more interesting so that we do get a variety of views uh, but we don't expect them to be impartial uh, and we've had a lot of people in the past who have legislators and so on or ex-legislators uh, in the past who do have party alliances uh, and uh, that's uh, fair enough we've had MPC delegates uh, and so on uh, as I say so the co-hosts are not expected to be uh, impartial uh, um, so uh, Patrick uh, who says can I suggest that the show works a lot better where the co-host is or at least tries to be uh, neutral uh, respectfully I uh, disagree uh, okay uh, Bowen, responding to uh, John Bruce in the first part of the programme, says, On stream of consciousness, don't worry about it, John. Uh, We've met before. You didn't strike me as somebody who spoke in a stream of consciousness style. Not as practised by James Joy, certainly not as practised by Priscilla. Uh, On uh, Facebook, a couple of comments. TC, first of all, says, As a Canadian, I completely agree with my government's decision to suspend extradition agreement with Hong Kong. But amongst the five eyes, the UK's position on Hong Kong's development is important, as it's a signatory of the Sino-British Joint Declaration. Regular bank chat contributor Chip Cho made a very good analogy on his show, Summit, on commercial radio. Hong Kong's like a restaurant and foreign foreign countries are its customers. When customers choose to leave because they're unsatisfied with the restaurant's quality of food or services, you don't accuse them for meddling with how this restaurant does business. Uh, Tom says on Facebook, people forget that the purpose of extradition treaties is not political. Uh, They are an efficient, practical measure to deport people who have committed crimes. The reality today is, while students hold blank posts, blank post-it notes in shopping malls, Chantong Kai is free in Hong Kong and having a laugh. Uh, Xinjiang, conflicts and detentions are not what anyone wants, but Islamic extremism programs do exist in Indonesia, Malaysia and many other places. The US coalition has destroyed four entire Muslim countries to oppose extremism and has never even apologised to that. Going back to last year in the UN, many countries signed letters for and against China's measures in Xinjiang. All Muslim countries, who might actually know something about the matter, sided with China. Naysayers will say they did it for money. But Saudi Arabia? Question mark. Uh, thought from Tom. Thank you very much in, indeed for that. Uh, Professor Peterson, uh, good day to you. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us once again. Um, uh, is this really a legal issue or is this purely politics? Is this purely post-Brexit Britain trying to get into America's good books? Well, there may be some political motivations for the UK's decision, but it's perfectly justified under the law. I think it's important to go back and ask yourself, why is it that the UK has an extradition treaty with Hong Kong, but not with mainland China? Why is it that so many countries have extradition arrangements with Hong Kong, but not with mainland China? It's because they trusted Hong Kong's legal system 
but also because they believed that there was indeed a legal firewall between the two jurisdictions. So they had absolute confidence that if they sent a fugitive against his will back to Hong Kong for trial, that that person would be tried in Hong Kong with an independent judge with a right to access counsel, right to bail, all the procedural protections of the common law system and the ICCBR. Now, after the enactment of the national security law, foreign governments understandably have questions about that firewall. All of a sudden, we have these new security institutions. They are clearly accountable directly to the central authorities. They are not subject to judicial review. And under Article 55, it's possible for a person who is extradited to Hong Kong to suddenly find themselves, without a further extradition hearing, simply transferred to the mainland. And once they're transferred to the mainland, if that happens, we don't know how often it will happen, but if it happens, that means that the game is over. No longer do you have any of the procedural protections that you would have in Hong Kong. You no longer have an independent judiciary. You no longer have an independent defense counsel. You no longer have all the procedural protections that the foreign government thought they were providing to you when they sent you to Hong Kong. So in my opinion, it is a legal issue. And foreign governments not only have the right to say, ooh, we're not sure we can treat Hong Kong like a fully separate legal system anymore, they actually have a duty to scrutinize the arrangement because these governments are also bound by the Convention Against Torture, which prohibits them from transferring a person to a jurisdiction against their will where they might have reasonable fear of being subject to torture. I don't think that would happen in Hong Kong under the Hong Kong authorities, but I don't know what's going to happen in that hotel where China's secret police are now openly operating. And I don't know what would happen to a person if they were unfortunate enough to be transferred to the mainland pursuant to Article 55. So there may be some political considerations operating in the background, but there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that any government that has an extradition agreement with Hong Kong should be thinking very carefully about whether that legal firewall between the two legal systems is still intact. Nixie, do you want to? No. <laughs> okay. okay. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, it does say at the beginning of the uh, of the legislation, you know, human rights shall be respected and protected in safeguarding national security, uh, all the rights and freedoms, and it lists a lot of those freedoms uh, which the residents yeah, uh, enjoy. Yeah, they actually say that. Uh, ICCPR Chinese, will apply. In the Chinese legal system as well. Does it happen in mainland China? China maintains that they comply with the Convention Against Torture. They're a state party. Do you have confidence that if you transfer someone against their will to a Chinese jail that they will never be subjected to torture? Would you feel confident sending someone against their will back to mainland China just because China says, oh, don't worry, we don't torture people? Uh, if they did, if they were sent for trial in the mainland, they would be tried under this law. They would be tried under the Hong Kong law. Actually, if you look at the terms of the article, if you look after... Article 55, in Article 56 and 57, it tells you that if a person is transferred pursuant to Article 55, then the criminal procedure law of the People's Republic of China and other related national laws shall apply to procedural matters. Yeah. 
including those related to investigation, examination, prosecution, trial, etc. It's the procedures that matter. You should also take a look at Article 58 because and Article 59. There are very important provisions. Article 59 tells you that if a case is transferred to the mainland pursuant to Article 55, then any person, not just the defendant, but any person who has information pertaining to an offense endangering national security under this law is obliged to testify truthfully. What does that tell us? What happened to the right to remain silent? So you have to read that this law is overwhelming in the ways in which it opens the doors between the two legal systems. And that was not supposed to happen. If you read the joint declaration and you read the basic law, one of the promises that was particularly clear was that Hong Kong will maintain its own separate legal system. But again, but again, as, again that you're not, you know, you're not contradicting what I said. Uh, they the, the would be tried if they were sent to the mainland. They would still be tried under this law. That's, the, that's why they specify that the procedures would be for, for the mainland. That would be the point of doing it on the mainland. However, and there would be security concerns principally, and it would be done under extraordinary circumstances when there was some kind of crisis or was there was some kind of conflict. Uh, Actually, in, in, Hugh, I don't see the word extraordinary in Article 55. I see some very broad language. If the case is complex, if a serious situation occurs, and once again, it's the procedure and major and imminent threat to national security. What is the what is the procedural mechanism? Does the defendant have the right to ask for a hearing before an independent Hong Kong judge to challenge whether the conditions met in Article Fifty Five are met? They don't. There is no extradition hearing. What do you think that two million people went to the streets to protest against in Hong Kong last summer? The fear of being transferred out of Hong Kong's legal system to the mainland's legal system. And Article 55 opens that door. Now, I hope that 10 years from now, we can look back and say, oh, thank goodness, Article 55 was never invoked. And everyone who was tried under the national security law was tried by an independent judge in Hong Kong's legal system. But I don't have confidence, and if I were a foreign government who had to decide whether to maintain an extradition agreement with Hong Kong, I would not have confidence. The other thing to think about is the export controls. Because Hong Kong was viewed as an entirely separate legal system, it has had access to sensitive technology, certain lethal weapons, other things that governments, foreign governments will not export directly to mainland China. The reason they're willing to exp we're willing to export it to Hong Kong is that they have confidence that Hong Kong officials are independent from the mainland and that they will adhere to the principles of the rule of law and there will be no bleeding of these exports across the border. But now that national security personnel from ma the mainland are operating openly in Hong Kong and advising the Committee on National Security, who knows? whether this sensitive technology will remain strictly in the Hong Kong legal system. What this really comes down to is the question of whether the firewall exists anymore. And unfortunately, I think there's been a big hole blasted in it by this law. They've achieved what they would have perhaps liked to have achieved through the extradition bill last summer. 
And now it's being achieved in an even messier way because there is no extradition hearing. There's no opportunity for a person to even challenge the fact that they might be transferred to the mainland. Uh, okay, here's uh, an email from Martin who says the Five Eyes countries are suspending their extradition treaties with Hong Kong, delivering another confirmation that they might be behind the riots and using Hong Kong and its people as a political football in their anti-China policy. Meanwhile, the EU-China trade agreement yesterday received very little media coverage or commentary as it does not fit the deranged anti-China agenda driven by the US and its four poodles. It's a huge blow to all those anti-China op-eds stemming from the US or US think tanks in Europe that were insisting the European Union will blindly follow the US turning against China and decouple. That thought uh, is from Martin. Uh, Michael Davis, do you want to do you want to respond to Martin? Well, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's it's the usual easy way to go after people who are offering kind of criticism Carol just offered is to sort of insult them as sort of China bashers, you know, and all of this uh, without actually looking at what what's being said. Uh, if you look at the text of this law, I think Carol's laid it out perfectly already, so I need not repeat it. Virtually across the board, Beijing has inserted itself into Hong Kong. Now, years ago, Beijing went to the same capitals of the world where the criticism is coming from now and asked them to treat Hong Kong distinctly from the rest uh, rest of China. And so there was a representation made that the final British Joint Declaration, the basic law, would be upheld, that Hong Kong would have a high degree of autonomy. And governments around the world relied on that. You can imagine... Uh, for example, you can come up with comparable examples. We send our diplomats to different parts of the world. What if the government where we sent them suddenly says, no, 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 your diplomats are no longer uh, granted the sorts of uh, diplomatic community uh, that, that we've agreed to. We're just going to drop it. Or you can imagine if the United States were to suddenly uh, take charge of the United Nations because it's located in New York. Uh, you know, there are different set of representations made in that case. It's not one country, two systems. But at the end of the day, uh, people around the world expect that a country will carry out what it's committed to do. And if you read this national security law, there's no way the high degree of autonomy that's promised Hong Kong and that the, the rules, there are actual articles in the basic law that said mainland departments will not interfere in Hong Kong, mainland law will not apply in Hong Kong, except in certain cases as related to the national security law, you know, beyond the scope of autonomy, then a law could be added uh, to, to uh, Annex 3. But this law goes way beyond any of that. In effect, it's trying to take over the job of public order in Hong Kong. In, in the basic law, public order is assigned to Hong Kong, the maintenance of public order. So governments around the world viewed Hong Kong as a distinct entity, as China had promised, and when that's withdrawn, they're going to respond to that. That's, that's just the case. Uh, and, you know, in sort of saying that, you know, they're dogs of the U.S. or something really doesn't answer that question. Uh, the U.S. has its own problems. Donald Trump is not my favorite president. But at the end of the day, uh, I can't blame any country for sort of pulling the plug on how it treats Hong Kong in light of Beijing's, you know, really excessive interference in internal affairs of Hong Kong. We essentially have the chief executive of Hong Kong now being supervised by the central government under the, uh, as part of this committee on safeguarding national security. 
Most of us know that China's national security policies are mostly about protecting China from its own people. Uh, China has faced very few threats from outside of military forces and so on. But what China has is, is a, a kind of national security paradigm, which we see operating in Xinjiang and Tibet and elsewhere, even across the country, uh, where national security is about a kind of fear that your own people uh, will, uh, you know, try to do something that against the government. And so we, we see the national security laws on the mainland very strictly enforced. This is why, one of the, probably the main reason that there was to be one country, two systems, because people see the way China uh, uses national security. And so the basic law even had an article in it saying that Hong Kong should enact national security laws, a variety of them, on its own, because that was viewed really as one of the chief areas where the basic rights and freedoms in Hong Kong would be under threat. So if you want to present Hong Kong to the world as a reliable place with the rule of law and basic freedoms, then trying not to have mainland China's national security laws apply in Hong Kong was imperative. So this has been erased. Uh, these governments are hoping China will reverse its position, or possibly the alternative would be, uh, Carol mentioned, is that they would never use a lot of the provisions in this law. But the hope for that is not great. When we look at, they were using the national security law on the very first day it came into force. Uh, and obviously, with all these institutions that are being set up in Hong Kong, uh, there's a lot of pressure on police, on the Justice Department, and on the courts to aggressively use these national security laws. And it's clear that under under the, the national security law that's been passed, Chinese officials are going to be overseeing very carefully what's done. So the idea that these laws won't be used doesn't seem too likely. The national security law, actually, uh, we're just only looking at subversion, secession, foreign interference, and terrorism. What happens in the first day of the protests is, is actually violate one of the, 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 the things that's mentioned. So it doesn't actually go against any, say, opposition parties' operations. So it's mainly solely targeted into the four spectrums that, well, that was just mentioned. But, but is that terrorism when some guys obviously could be... No, it's certainly involved. terrorism when, when people are throwing petrol it's bombs and hiding hiding weapons and knives, like like targeting but, but, civilians but in Hong Kong, isn't it? But it, it is a false assumption that weapons? this law was passed to deal with violence. Hong Kong already has an anti-terrorism ordinance. It already has laws prohibiting. It seems like fighting. it doesn't work for the past 12 months. It's no happening in Hong call, Kong. Uh, no one would call a guy running a vehicle with a flag of independence on it uh, in a reckless manner terrorism. Terrorism is to cause fear, is to do actions to cause fear in the society. And, and no one would call it. They might call it an assault. And if he hit somebody, it could be even, uh, you know, if he injured them in certain ways, there are all sorts of crimes on the book for that. But terrorism would not typically be used. <laughs> I, I think it's important to uh, think about the objection that China and the Hong Kong government have made. They've accused foreign governments of interfering in China's and internal affairs. And by, by making that statement, they're essentially saying Hong Kong is now an internal affair of the mainland. And if that's the case, 
then, of course, foreign governments are going to say, all right, well, then Hong Kong will be treated just like mainland China in all of hang, our Hang on, hang on. America is not the sovereign power in Hong Kong. The People's Republic of China is the sovereign power. Well, yeah. exactly, exactly. And no longer exactly. does Hong Kong really exercise its own international legal personality. It did under the joint declaration. It had its own international legal personality. It could join the WTO in its own name. It could maintain its own immigration border. It had a certain degree of autonomy that justified the fact that foreign governments, as Michael said, were being asked to give Hong Kong preferential treatment. That's what those extradition treatments are, treaties are. They're preferential treatment for Hong Kong. Treating Hong Kong better than the rest of mainland China is treated. So by pouring out, that mainland China that is help the situation? You're, not you're just like the rest of us, then you're going to be treated like the rest of mainland China. It's unfortunate because I do think that the Hong Kong judiciary is still excellent. I think the Hong Kong judiciary will do its utmost to interpret this law to comply with the ICCPR. But the fact is, the ultimate power of interpretation is not with the Hong Kong judiciary. It's with the NPC Standing Committee. And they can override any interpretation that a Hong Kong judge gives. They can also have a case removed to the mainland. So it's it's not a slap in the face to the Hong Kong judges, who I really think are very high-quality judges and very committed to their work. It is simply an acknowledgment that Hong Kong can no longer assure the foreign governments that a person will only be tried by a Hong Kong court under Hong Kong procedural protections and and will be guaranteed that they will not be subjected to a law that conflicts with the ICCPR. The fact that Article 4 says the ICCPR still applies doesn't really help much because there are so many specific provisions, like the presumption against bail, that directly contradict the ICCPR. Okay, some uh, comments. Uh, a couple on uh, Carol Peterson. Uh, this is from uh, S who says, uh, excellent, great guest, Carol, excellent guest pointing out how dismal true reality is. Such a welcome change to all that flatulence we're subjected to most days, yes? Is it true that lots of CVs are flying out from RTHK these days? Uh, comes to say from uh, uh, S. Uh, and uh, this is from uh, Andrew F., who says, Carol Peterson is right to be worried. Look at what happened when the UK extradited people to the US, who ended up in Guantanamo without any legal redress and where they can and have been tortured by the US, who claim that Geneva Convention protections don't apply there. Some British citizens were held for 17 years without having been charged with anything. Hopefully China won't be as brutal as the United States. That comes from Andrew F. Professor Peterson? Well, I completely agree with that person's comment, but sadly I think China is equally brutal. So you think that, uh, what, the U.K. should suspend uh, extradition arrangements with the U.S.? Actually, the United, the United Kingdom has frequently refused to send people to the United States for trial, partly because of the death penalty. I mean, the United Kingdom was told by the European Court of Human Rights that you may not send a person to, this, to a state in the United States if there's a possibility that they will, in fact, be subjected to the death penalty. I'm not saying that the United States legal system is superior in all ways. My point is simply that any foreign government, and I'm not just talking about the United States, we're talking about the UK, Australia, Canada, that if they are assessing whether or not they want to give differential treatment to Hong Kong, 
as opposed to just treat Hong Kong the way they treat mainland China for the purposes of extradition and export controls, they have to take into account the fact that the legal firewall is no longer as firm as it once was. There was a time under one country, two systems when I would not have had this opinion, when I would have said to you know, foreign government, if they asked me for my advice, that yes, you can extradite someone to Hong Kong safely, because I can assure you they will not be whisked across the border and subjected to Chinese criminal procedure. But I couldn't say that anymore. So any foreign government that's making that assessment has to decide, would I be willing to extradite a person to mainland China? If not, I probably shouldn't extradite them to Hong Kong. All right. Uh, some more emails. Sam says, making a mockery of democracy in the world. While the focus is on the new security laws of Hong Kong, total disregard for the outlaws in Portland, this is a reference to Oregon. The 44th session of the UNHCR in Geneva that concluded very recently, 53 countries voted for the new security laws in Hong Kong, while only 27 countries voted against. Have the Hong Kong police taken a cue from what we hear in the news that takes place uh, in Portland? Uh, and Alan, referring to, I think, John Bruce in the first part of the programme, says your Scottish guest is expressing naive or insincere confidence in how the NSL will be used, that the government will use it responsibly. Apparently, he's never heard of the Causeway Bay book, uh, publishers. Proponents all start, talking off, all start off talking about similar named laws in Western countries. The difference is that these are used against adversaries like al-Qaeda terrorists, Russian and Chinese spies. In China, and now Hong Kong, national security is mostly about domestic political dissidents. People chanting a slogan is an embarrassment, not a threat to the nation. At worst, it's laissez-majesté, and China isn't officially a monarchy. That is why countries are cancelling extradition. That comes uh, from uh, Alan. Thank you very much indeed for those. One more. This is from... Uh, John, who says what this morning's discussion shows is that Beijing, intending to scare Hong Kong people with its NSL, has succeeded in scaring every rule of law society to the point they are denouncing their agreements with the no longer autonomous SAR. Those who say, oh, don't worry, you can trust Beijing to implement this law with restraint, are widely disbelieved by Hong Kong people themselves. It would be interesting to have a reliable public opinion poll to see how widely Beijing is trusted in Hong Kong. But... Oh, asking Hong Kong people what they think, as in the recent primary, is a threat to national security. That comes uh, from John. Thank you very much indeed for that. And thank you to, to uh, all our comments uh, this morning. Uh, is there uh, one more uh, This one comment on our Facebook page from Dare, who says, everything she just said makes perfect sense. doesn't say who that refers to, so we'll take it as a compliment for Nixie. Uh, thank you very much indeed. In the meantime, too, uh, Michael Davis, uh, for a global fellow at the Woodrow Wilson International Centre in Washington, former professor of law at the University of Hong Kong, Professor Carol Peterson from the William S. Richardson School of Law and graduate, school, uh, graduate chair at the Matsunaga Institute for Peace at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Thank you very much indeed, and everyone uh, who emailed and commented um, this morning. Uh, we're back at 8.30 tomorrow. Thank you, of course, to co-host Nixie Lamb. The weather before we go with well, a thunderstorm warning at the moment as well as, as, well as a very hot weather warning. Uh, today it's going to be mainly fine apart from a couple of showers. Isolated thunderstorms at first. Very hot during the day. Temperatures up to about 33 degrees in the urban areas. A bit warmer in the new territories. And it's going to stay very hot and mainly fine for the rest of the week. 28 degrees now. Relative humidity 89%. The symptoms of COVID-19 can be mild. Don't go to work or school if feeling unwell. Wear a mask and consult a doctor promptly. Ask doctors at accident and emergency departments, general outpatient clinics, 
private hospitals, or clinics for free testing provided by the Department of Health. Return the specimen to a designated collection point or use the door-to-door -door specimen collection service for a fee. Test promptly for early detection. 932, the news now with Samantha Butler. The United States has accused China of involvement in attempts to hack companies working on coronavirus vaccines and treatments, as well as targeting human rights activists in the US, China and Hong Kong. Two former engineering students have been indicted in connection with the case. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on a visit to London says Washington wants to build a coalition of like-minded allies to counter what he called the threat from China. Such an alliance, Mr. Pompeo said, should persuade Beijing to stop aggressive behavior, including making illegal maritime claims and covering up the coronavirus outbreak. And in his first coronavirus briefing for weeks, President Trump says the outbreak is likely to get worse before it gets better. He urged people to use masks and defended the administration's handling of the disease. He said the mortality rate in the United States had continued to decline. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Welcome to a brand new morning, and now the back jet's through. Hold tight to the side of your seat, it's the morning brew. It's Phil Whelan and he's dealing an interview or two. Live now on Radio 3, it's the morning brew. He'll entertain you lots, well fingers crossed, until his voice is shot. A dedicated individual Sit back, enjoy the chat Plus a tune or two Hold tight to the side of your seats It's the morning brew Good morning and welcome to Wednesday It's the morning brew once again With me, Phil Whelan Let's get into it Today at 9.40, a few minutes from now I'm going to talk about the many ways The dogs understand us that's, of course, with Janice Jensen from Nevis Animal Speak. Now, she's still on tour in Texas. From where you can see and hear her, join us on Facebook Live. After 10.30, Life on the Ocean Wave. Gary Stokes from Oceans Asia will be with us once again on location off the Hong Kong coast somewhere with a couple of experts. Visual, audio, I don't know. We'll see what the signal's like, but we'll have a chat. He also wants to invite you to a webinar, which is happening tomorrow. Philippe Davar from RTL France brings you this week's Franglais, plus some endless, no, 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 timeless French music. Chris Watts is busy today bending and stretching, so he will be with us tomorrow at 12.40.